Muffin Talk brought to you by the initiative Titi Paunamu, Study and Joy. And today it is a cooperation with the Religious Diversity Center. Muffin Talk is a weekly program to which I invite guests to talk about their work and their passion for issues on community programs, social justice, different faiths and different religions. My interviews are done in the studio of Planet FM or via Zoom. Today I have invited Rod Oram, to a Zoom recording for our broadcast. Rod, a very warm welcome and hi to my radio program. Kia ora, Very lovely to be with you on air. Rod Oram is a business journalist who contributes weekly to Newsroom, 9 to Noon, and News Talk. Rod is a member of the Edmund Hillary Fellowship, which brings together people from here and abroad who seek to contribute to global change from Aotearoa. Recently, um, a couple of years ago, Rod published a book um, with the title Seeking Hope in the Anthropocene. During the last months, the Religious Diversity Center has organized webinars with the theme Becoming Better Together. And Rod was one of the panelists of the webinar Faith and Business Strategizing for an Unknown World. This webinar is still available on the website of the Religious Diversity Center at www.rdc.org.nz. Now, we had a lot of different titles and uh, names and themes. Um, Rod, tell us a little bit about the panel discussion that you were part of on faith and business. You said that faith was a journey for you, has been a journey for you. Can you explain what that means to you? Oh, I think probably my experience is uh, typical of uh, many of us through life, um, that we start as, as youngsters, as children, um, trying to um, understand the stories in the Bible, trying to understand uh, what we're taught, trying to understand what on earth is going on in services in which we participate in. Um, and um, as we become intellectually more curious, uh, or we're tested in various ways through life, or we're exposed to new things, all these influences um, cause us, of course, wonderfully to learn, hopefully, to test, to challenge. Um, so for me, um, there have been periods uh, where um, that um, sense of journey or, or investigation has been more intense than others. Um, and, um, it, and then there have been other periods which, um, in a sense, have felt more settled. All the way through this, um, I've been um, a Christian uh, of the Anglican variety, uh, both here in New Zealand and then before that um, in the UK, where I was born and grew up, but also um, in the US and Canada, other countries I've lived in. And I've always um, worshipped um, in, um, um, in Anglican churches um, in, in, that, um, in those countries. 
Um, and I also go through periods of being more involved in my parish or my diocese or my province. Um, and then I, I sort of take a bit of a breather for a while. This seems to be about a 10-year cycle. And uh, hopefully um, I might slip in another 10-year cycle. But I'm, I'm going through a period at the moment where uh, I am reflecting. I'm still in, enjoying the worship I participate in. But for me, the very, very big um, part of the journey these days is trying to understand um, my spiritual relationship with God's creation. Um, because this um, creation is our living earth, our living planet, which in turn is our life support system. We are incredibly, we utterly dependent um, on all those other living forms on, on the planet for our survival. And yet as human beings, we're doing a terrible job um, looking after the planet Um when, um, in fact, the planet looks after us. And so um, that's a very big part of my spiritual journey these days. But also that flows through then into trying to um, understand, as I read the Bible, um, I seek an, an ecological interpretation, a creation interpretation there. And then also in worship, um, uh, eco-liturgy is important to me. but So these are all um, relatively new facets of my faith, uh, but increasingly they are the most central part. And, and one last part about this journey, one last aspect, in all the years I've been a business journalist, which is now um, well over 40 years, um, I've I've never denied my faith. Um, when asked, I'm happy to you know proclaim my faith, um, but I've never um, made much of an effort to to raise that aspect, that central aspect of my life. And part of it, I think, was always um, long a sense that um, if I talked about my Christian faith, um, that people, some people, would might think that this somehow. Um, took the edge off my hard-nosed analysis as a business journalist and that I wasn't necessarily reliable because um, I, I was bringing other factors into my decision-making as a journalist, um, i.e. a great care for people and increasingly a great care for the planet. So I, I was always... Um, I always felt also I never had anything particularly new or different or interesting to say about faith. Uh, lots of other people have said it far better than I had in the past. And therefore, um, if I was talking about um, interpersonal relationships or, or um, in a community, relationships in a community or, or whatever, I, I felt that um, I just had nothing particularly new or different or helpful to say. Mm. However, on this question of our spiritual relationship with the living planet, um, not only do I have a huge sense of urgency about that, which gets me more engaged, but I really do feel that um, all the faiths of the world um, have this um, really central aspect of their relationship, um, of the, the human relationship, to creation and therefore i think collectively we have a lot to say um to people at large and i find that i i want to talk about that um in ways um that i'd never talked about my faith in the past so it's a it's a very exciting new chapter for me in that respect that um not only am i learning very fast in this area um but I, i'm also uh, in my excitement wanting to engage other people in that and, and that's, that's, those are two big differences for me. So 
that that's how my journey is progressing. I think that you will like uh, the uh, the book by Pope Francis on Laudato Si, where he also talks about this interconnectedness that we can't see ourselves um, without thinking about the nature, about uh, the animals, and first of all, the human family. So we are not singular, and uh, I think that's that's the right uh, the right direction. We had the other day also an, a little workshop on different faiths and how they are connected to creation and all of us care for creation if we look in our sources. Laudato Si was really a seminal, seminal document for me. Um, I thought it was the most um, articulate um, way and the most powerful way of bringing so many, pretty much every aspect of the human condition together and then drawing those links. And and um, I was very moved by it and I felt very em- empowered by it. And, and, um, and that, if I had to identify one particular piece of writing or, or big learning for me in recent years, it is that. And then now in, COVID, in the COVID pandemic around the world, we're seeing so many crises coalesce or, or come together or be very interdependent. And it's not just health. It's not just economics. It's not just inequality or the breakdown of society and politics and all the rest. These are very, very interdependent. And again, you can easily go back to Pope Francis's um, Uh, words there um i i I think they're as fresh and as useful today uh, and as timeless as they were when he wrote them a few years back yeah and and you also recently you commented on a book with a title the future we choose and i think it's a great title for 2020 a year of pandemic elections and somehow a growing concern for immediate needs rather than long-term goals such as slowing down climate change, growing together as a human family. Can you tell us more about this book that you commented on? Uh, the book is uh, recently published, and its two authors are Christiana Figueres um, and Tom Rivette Karnak. Now, Christiana um, is a Costa Rican and a diplomat, and for um, seven years headed the United Nations climate negotiations around the world. So she took on that job after the failure of the Copenhagen climate negotiations in 2009, and she was um, uh, her chairing took her through and the completion of the Paris Agreement in 2015, and she has since maintained important roles. Uh, Tom worked alongside her uh, very closely, uh, particularly at Paris, and so um, they've come together to write this book. And the very important point they're making is that we literally, literally only have now less than a decade because by 2030 we've got to achieve something in the order of a 50 to 60% cut in greenhouse gas emissions Um, if we are to try to keep temperatures under the rising temperatures to under one and a half degrees centigrade around the world. And because above that temperature, we start to see far greater damage um, and change in ecosystems. And and there's a whole bunch of uh, triggers that then happen um, that cause climate change to accelerate. And therefore, um, 
it then becomes largely out of our hands. So that's how big the task is. And um, so on one hand, the, the um, challenge is clear, but on the other, and, and there are lots of things we can do, but trying to organize people around that, trying to get people um, confident about that, ambitious about that, remains very, very difficult. So Christiana talks about um, stubborn optimism. Um, in, in the face of um, all of these um, difficulties, serious, serious difficulties, we need to, in ourselves, be stubbornly optimistic, know that this has to be done. And so it's a, literally about what we do and dictates what future we have. Um, and as, as, a, as a species, as humankind. And, and therefore, we are choosing a future one way or the other. So on one hand, if we don't do anything and we choose not to do anything, um, then the climate crisis runs away and becomes very difficult for us um, and even more damaging to humankind and the planet. Um, but if we choose to act, we can choose that future, that better future. So that's the very powerful title and the essence behind it. And then they um, take um, 10 very broad themes through there and explore um, the, um, the opportunities for us uh, to act, but also the huge downside if we don't. And um, another book out um, in recent months um, in a sense, traverses the same territory, and that's called um, Hope in Hell by Jonathan Porritt, uh, the British environmental leader. And uh, Jonathan is making exactly the same point um, that we have this decade now, minus almost one year, um, and um, he traverses much of the same territory um, but um, brings um, complementary and different evidence uh, makes the case in some different ways. So the two books, um, I think, um, are very much complementary. Um, it's well worth reading both. Um, and they are very encouraging. Um, but on the other hand, um, they are making it extremely clear um, how um, grave a moment this is. And um, so I, I think they're fundamentally important books and very readable. And when you say we, we have so much time. We because, uh, Some people, they give up hope because they say, oh, it's the governments, it's the, the countries. Mm-hmm. But in fact, it's also we as a single person. And there have been some researches done during COVID-19 when less people were on planes and less people were driving and uh, more people were on Zoom. <laughs> and uh, so maybe that is like a kind of, warning or remedy that was sent to us so just to remember that if we do change our behavior there is a positive outcome yes and it's doubly positive because we don't we don't just get that future we choose and that better future but in many ways um life is a great deal better for us and and for the planet and um I, i suppose i i have this huge frustration that um, I and others can see that very clearly. And I I think we are are articulate um, uh, about what that future looks like, that positive future looks like. Um, But I I feel that I I never seem to be able to express it clearly enough or compelling enough um, to persuade some people. Um, And so I'm, I'm constantly working on how, as a journalist, I can be absolutely 
very clear and straightforward about what on earth is going on. But at the same time, to say that is all true, but these are things we can do. You know, this this is the way forward for us. And and so um, that that's kind of the centrality of my work as a, a business journalist. That's really interesting because my the radio program Muffin Talk is also a program that. I try to raise concerns, but always give a hope afterwards. So I interview people who give hope. And I some years ago, I had uh, the chairperson of the Environmental Committee from the uh, Justice and Peace Commission of the Catholic Diocese of Auckland, mm-hmm. and he um, showed he presented to me ten green commandments. And I think <laughs> they are wonderful ways of how you can bring it to people. And uh, if you have alternatives. There's always hope, and um, in fact, uh, the Christians, we, we go now to the first of Advent uh, on this Sunday, so um, that's the Sunday of hope, and uh, which is very important, so we, we light a candle for hope. And in that context, I was also thought that you are a person who is actively engaged in spreading optimism. Is that right? Optimism against all odds. Well, yes, I, I hesitate there only in that you have to, uh, I feel it's really important to deliver um, a, a, and inform people in two ways. Yes, it is about the hope, what can be done, what lies ahead that's is better, but having to be at the same time incredibly straightforward about the facts of the matter, both how hard this is, but how in, hugely important it is. It's always good to think of the, the trees that somebody else planted maybe 50 years ago. And at that time, the person would never have had any fruit. But the future generations, no matter if you have children yourself, but it's different generations will have the fruit of the tree. So it's time to plant now in order to have a tree in the future. Yes. <laughs> you, your book that I was mentioning that you published in 2016, was it also a very positive and uh, forward-looking book about the three cities? Yes. Um, what I did was um, I, I was, even back in 2016, this was a period where um, economies were failing people in many respects. And societies were beginning to shatter, politics beginning to polarize. Um, and, of course, at the heart of this was um, our relationship with the planet. So um, I, as a freelance journalist, I couldn't um, afford the time or the money for an extensive world tour. <laughs> so I, I chose three cities that I'd had a long-term relationship with. Um, Beijing, because that was the – I first went there as a journalist in January of 1979 – Uh, on a Canadian trade mission. And um, and uh, I've never lived in China, let alone Beijing, um, but I have visited um, reasonably frequently over the years. So I have a, had a, a real sense of what's been going on. And also um, the economic revival of China um, and the development of China has been, you know, the single largest factor in um, all my years as a business journalist. Then the second um, city was London. Um, now, I was actually born elsewhere in England, up in Birmingham, um, but in my teens I lived um, part-time in London during school holidays where my family was and I was still up at school in Birmingham. So, again, um, and I'd been back to London 
after university in the United States. And so I'd had time as an, an adult there working. And then Chicago was where I went to university in the United States and um, have kept in close um, touch with the States. Um, I met my wife at university in Chicago and um, we've lived for some time in the US. Um, and um, so we have all those connections. And so I went to the three cities and, and said to a wide range of people in politics, in academia, in business, in science, what's the, what's the convergence, what's the connection um, between economy and ecology in your city looking out 10 years? So that was the, the simple construct um, for the book. And then um, in each of the cities, I um, just wrote sort of essentially four extended essays in each of the cities, um, uh, uh, looking at various of those aspects. So that was the basis for the book. And um, again, it was stressing, trying to stress um, what might lie ahead uh, for us um, in, in terms of roads we might follow. But very crucially, that term Anthropocene is one from um, the geologists have given us because they are looking at um, geological epochs, uh, these big shifts in planetary systems that they can detect um, going back millions of years. And um, so they were deciding in 2015, 2016 um, that we are now in a new epoch and this epoch um, is they named the Anthropocene after us and anthropods, and uh, yeah. um, <laughs> because we humans are the biggest single drive driver of planetary change. So we are causing a bigger impact on the planet than any natural system. And I'll give you one very small example. We humans. Uh, um, in our construction and our farming, our quarrying and you know, our road building, you name it, we move physically more of the Earth's surface every year than do natural processes like erosion and, and um, you know, floods washing soil down rivers and all that kind of stuff. That's one example. Of course, climate change is an even bigger example. And um, so uh, we are the in the Anthropocene. It started, um, geologists reckon, around about the mid-20th century, around about 1950, when post-Second World War we started to see a very big increase in economic activity and population growth and the rest. And if you then track those um, uh, s- uh, social and economic impacts, um, against um, uh, Earth systems impacts, you can see that very clear relationship between human activity and the planet. Um, so we are very much in the Anthropocene, and um, the last, the previous period, the Holocene lasted about twelve thousand years. It was gave rise to um, agriculture and um, 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 b- built environments, um, starting the first towns and cities. Um, and in many ways, um, Lay was an extraordinary um, um, long period in, in modern human history, 12,000 years, that got us to this point. But now, um, in you know, less than 70 years since the mid-20th century, uh, we humans have just had this unbelievable impact on the planet. And that's what we've got to sort out. And I, I'm a 
firm, firm believer that it's possible for us to seriously reinvent so much of what we do so we work with nature, not against it. And when we get to that point, we will still have a, a decent life. It's not about sort of going back to sort of living in, you know, forests, you know, dressed in animal skins and living in a shelter. Uh, we can have um, a, um, a, a sort of a modern life, but we need to make sure that everything we do works with nature, not against it. Um, and conceptually, uh, I can't prove this in science yeah, yeah. But conceptually, um, it seems to me it would be possible for 10 billion people, because that's what we're heading for, would be able to live, um, you know, in re reasonably well um, in relationship with the planet. So that just takes me back to the question of our spiritual relationship, because I, I, I feel deep, deep down that we won't do enough until we care enough and we won't care enough until we have that spiritual relationship um, with um, the rest of creation. So to me, that's the, the very um, direct way that I look at all this. And that can be, um, that spiritual relationship can be through a religion and it could be through um, your personality, your spirituality. Um, but I think that every religion does have a basis On if you really look into it, that it'll care for that you're asked to care for the earth. And if you say we're going back into living in the woods, I think if we were living in the forests, I think we would live in the forests with a lot more knowledge. And uh, so when we when we cut down the trees and then move to the next area, maybe we sh we wouldn't do that because the planet is is a lot more populated than when we were living in the forests. But um, I think that we'd have to um, come to the end for today. I think we'll have to have a follow-up sometime on this uh, fascinating topic and the hope-giving that we don't lose hope. Um, despite all things that are happening, we can always move a mountain by just moving the first step and the next step and uh, go slowly rather than being desperate because we see the mountain. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. Um, uh, Rod for, for this interview and um, I just want would like to draw your the listeners attention to two events so as I said this interview is has been brought to you by Titi Ponan who study and joy in cooperation with the Religious Diversity Center the Religious Diversity Center will present its last panel discussion of 2020 with a focus on young people The theme up for this Zoom session is Religious Diversity versus Religious Inclusivity. The facilitator of the evening will be Reverend Kate Thorne. Please join us on Monday, the 30th of November, so next Monday, from 6 to 7 p.m. The link to the event is on the website of the Religious Diversity Center at www.rdc.org.nz. And the Diponimo Study and Joy is organizing an online evening event with Claire Barnett. This workshop will be on holistic practices of self-care and will be held on Tuesday, the 15th of December from 7.15 to 8.45. Claire will use a range of self-care nibbles such as health, counseling and mindfulness tools to help you take a deep breath and prepare yourself for the end of the year. For more information and registration to this event, 
please check out my website at www.studyjoy.nz. So thank you so much, Rod, for this interview. And um, we have to continue one day because there is so much to say. <laughs> so thank you very much. And yeah, keep safe to all our listeners. Thank you very much. Thank you very much indeed. A pleasure to be with you. Out there are pieces calling In the bonds of love we meet For the world a new day dawning And shines a light to greet We're singing This is the day when the hope is calling This is the day when the light is shining This is the day when the world I'm